0: Hey, who here is excited that their kids went back to school? (laughs) I am. That's why I'm here. I'm worshiping God because of it. All right. (laughs) I'm kidding. Maybe. If I have not had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Craig, I'm one of the pastors here at SCC, Uh, I am grateful that you guys would spend your morning here with us, it's good to see so many of you, Uh, and for those of you that are joining us at home, man, I'm grateful that you guys would spend your morning with us as well. Uh, We have been in a series looking at the book of Jonah for the last, what, five weeks, Uh, and we're gonna keep going, all right? Um, Brad was supposed to be back uh, today, and due to circumstances, uh, he's actually taken a few more weeks, so you're stuck with me, all right? Um, <laughs> uh, so again, right, all this summer I have asked you guys be praying for Brad, right? Uh, it's been a heavy season, uh, it's been a long summer for him, uh, and so continue to pray for Brad as he is out, right? He'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, he's coming back, don't worry, you're not stuck with me forever, uh, but continue to pray for him, all right? Can we do that? Cool, cool. So like I said, we've been in the book of Jonah for several weeks, and. For the most part, we've read this story through the eyes of Jonah, right? We've looked at uh, what happened to Jonah, how God came to Jonah, how God sent Jonah, what happened in Jonah's life, the fact that he got swallowed by a fish, right? That he got puked up by sushi, all of these things, right? We looked at the story of Jonah through the perspective of Jonah. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at the story of Jonah from the perspective of Nineveh. You see, most of us when we read the Bible, when we read stories from Scripture, we tend to read through it with uh, our lens, right? With our filter, right? We read stories and we look at it through our culture. We look at it through uh, our circumstances or things that have happened to us both currently or in the past. And so we tend to gravitate to certain aspects of a story and we tend to miss other parts of a story. Now, for instance, uh, most of us are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. It involves a father and two sons. And the father was very wealthy, and he had two boys. And one of them decided, you know what, I would rather take my dad's inheritance. I would rather take all of the money that I'm going to receive when my father dies. I want that now. And so he goes to his dad, and he says, you know what, I want my inheritance now so that I can go and live the life that I want to live. And he takes off, and he goes, and he is living the dream eating and drinking and sleeping and doing everything that he wants to do. Meanwhile, this other son is at home. And eventually, the son that run away ran away comes home and he's greeted by his father. And his other brother grows bitter because he stayed home and did what was right while this son went out and squandered everything. And I think most of us, we hear this story and we tend to relate. We're like, man, I relate with the father or I relate with the prodigal son, or I relate with the son that stayed. But how many of us realize that in this story there was a famine? Not many of us, because we haven't experienced that. You know who sees this story and talks about the famine? People that have lived through a famine. And so this morning as we continue looking at Jonah, uh, I'm aware that we have taught through Jonah, through the perspective of Jonah, right? We don't only just read these stories through the perspective of the characters, but we teach through these stories through the perspective of these characters. And so this morning we're going to switch things up and we're going to teach through the story of Jonah from the perspective of Nineveh. All along, I've said, hey, we're doing this all in check-in, and the goal of this series is we have some heart work to do. As we're going to engage our community, as we're being called to literally drop everything and give it to Jesus, there is heart work to do. And we're going to see that there's more heart work to do, right? But week one, just to give us a refresher, it is the summer. Week one, we said, man, there's some heart work to do in our view of people, right? That Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because of those people and that each of us have people in our lives that we would consider to be, quote, those people. And we ask the question, like, are you allowing your sociology to influence your theology? Meaning, do you use your perspective, your view of people to dictate how you follow God? Because there's hard work to be done in regards to how we view people and how God views people. And then in week two, we saw that we have some hard work to do in regards to how we try and save ourselves. Right? That they we're constantly in this tension of trying to do things for ourselves. To Jonah, he Ran from Nineveh, and that was his attempt at saving himself to the sailors in the story. They offloaded their cargo. They started rowing harder. They started casting lots. They started calling out. Those were acts of saving themselves. And when it comes to our attempts at saving ourselves, we need to be aware of it. We need to name it. We need to give it to God, and we need to invite God into it. Week three, we saw that there was some heart work in regards to idolatry and repentance that most of us are going to obey God up until the point that it touches the very core of who we are. We're willing to do everything until it hits that spot and it's game over. Right? And we we talked about idolatry. We talked that an idol is anything that you love more than God, trust more than God, or crave more than God. And when it comes to a point where our idols, where our sins, where our attempts at living life without God become too much. We can't help but turn back to Him, that this is repentance, it's turning back to Him. And we talked about the beautiful truth that God hears repentant people. In week four, we talked about the heart work associated with evangelism, the dirty E word. It's scary, right? We talked about evangelism, that God's heart towards Nineveh is God's heart towards Shelbyville. It's the same. That our role in revival is evangelism, that salvation belongs to the Lord, that faith comes through hearing that we need to get the word of God into people's hands and that we need to pray like crazy. And I asked the bomb of a question, if you prayed all week long and God answered every prayer that you prayed, would there be anyone new in the kingdom? That question wrecked me. And then I got up here and I asked all of you the same question. There's heart work to be done when it comes to evangelism. And then last week, Pastor Mike beautifully talked about the heart work involved with our selfishness. right? That there's heart work to be done in regards to how we receive from God but are unwilling to give it to others that Jonah's selfishness had actually played out through unrighteous anger, and we saw that his unrighteous anger actually made Jonah believe that life would be better without God. He literally tried running from God's presence, as silly as that sounds. we learned that it can make you hope for judgment on others that you would never want on yourself, and it can make you miss opportunities to be merciful the way that God is merciful. And I'm aware that this has been a a relatively kind of high-challenge series, right? It has been. But I think we need it, you know, as we pursue our community, as we say, hey, we're going to be all in on our relationship with Jesus, right? We have called this a discipleship journey because that's what it is. Discipleship, it's not a quick fix. It's a long journey. And here's the deal. You're all invited, Man, it doesn't matter if you can't stand God, you're invited. It doesn't matter if you got questions, you're invited. It doesn't matter if you just started following Jesus, you're invited. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, you're invited. Maybe you followed Jesus for a long time and you've walked away, you are invited. We're not doing this because we have all the answers, we're doing this because we're pursuing the guy that does, Amen. Amen. You know, it doesn't matter where you're at spiritually, you're invited into this journey. And so this morning, as we look at this familiar story, this fishy tale about a faithful God, we're going to look at it from a slightly different perspective. We're going to look at it through the lens of Nineveh, because while we're all Jonah, we're also Nineveh. We are. We were in need of saving. And so today we're going to see that there is some heart work associated, even from Nineveh's perspective, from Nineveh's story. You know, what happens when we read this story is an account of everything that God did so that Nineveh could hear how much he loved them. You know, instead of reading all four chapters, you're welcome. We've edited this down a little bit. This was actually taken from The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a word-for-word translation. It's not even a thought-for-thought translation from the original language. This is literally a summary that was written. So this covers the book of Jonah. It says, one day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them, they're in a bad way. And I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went in the other direction, to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. But God sent a huge storm. The waves were towering and the ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors took Jonah and threw him overboard and immediately the sea was quieted down. Then God assigned a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. I was far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet you pulled me up from the grave alive, O God, my God. I am worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, and I will do what I promise to do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then God spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. Next God spoke to Jonah a second time, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them because they're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. This time, Jonah started off straight for Nineveh, obeying God's order to the letter. And Jonah entered the city, went one day's walk, and preached, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure leaders and followers. When I read this story, as someone from Nineveh, I cannot help but be blown away at how God worked and orchestrated all of this so that I could hear that he loved me, right? God loved me so much that he sent his prophet to come and tell me. And when that prophet decided that I wasn't worth it, God sent a storm to get his attention. And through that storm, a bunch of sailors heard how much God loved him, and they put their trust in him. And even though the storm wasn't enough to get his attention, at the peak of Jonah's hatred for me, God sent a fish to save him from drowning. And not only did that fish save his life, but God allowed Jonah to see his failure and how much God loved him in the belly of that fish. And God loved me enough that he gave Jonah a second chance to come and tell me about him. And even though Jonah's heart wasn't in it, I heard how much God loved me in those five words that he preached. And I mourned the ways that I had wronged God, and I mourned the ways that I had wronged other people, and I gave my life to him. I realized I had nothing without him and that I was facing destruction without Him. When I think of all that God did so that I could hear of His love for me, I could not help but respond in awe. Every one of us has a miraculous story just like this. And it may not involve a raging sea, it may not involve a fish, unless you're Joe Dial, It probably doesn't involve a five-word sermon, but when you think of all of the things that God had to do, when you think of all of the things that had to occur so that you could hear of his love for you, I hope that your response is awe. Man, I grew up in church, and I hated it. And when I got to be old enough, I actually, I walked away from it. But God knew that I was in a bad place, and that he couldn't let it go any longer. And so God sent this skinny little kid in bright yellow pants from Florida to Wisconsin, and he put the two of us in the same English class in ninth grade, and Mrs. Leishow, for some reason, put the two of us in the same project. We had to work in the same group project from the beginning of the school year. And while this is all going on, God had to move a man named John and his wife, Sarah, from Illinois to Wisconsin. And he had to put John in the role as youth pastor at Baptist Tabernacle Church in Kenosha. And this is where John met the skinny little kid with bright yellow pants. God had to give that scrawny little kid with bright yellow pants the courage to invite me to youth group week after week after week after week. And he had to move my hard heart hard enough to actually go. God had to lay my story on John's heart so that week after week we would stand in the dimly lit parking lot outside of the church after youth group and he would just sit and listen to me. And he had to lay it on John's heart to take a group of students to Toronto, Canada on a mission trip in the summer of 2001. God had to open a spot on that registration because it was full. And then God had to work in my parents to let their kid go on a trip with a church that they really didn't know a ton about. And he had to get them to see the value in spending several hundred dollars sending their kid on a church trip when all their kid has told them is he hates church. And then God had to put me in a 15-passenger van and drive me to another country so that in the upper room of a little church in Toronto, Canada, I could hear how much God loved me. Every single one of us has a story this miraculous. And I hope that when you think about it, you respond in awe. Oh. Church, we're Jonah, and at the same time, we're Nineveh. God saw us broken and said, I can't let this go on any longer. I I grew up in church. I grew up hearing that, that there was God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. I grew up hearing about the fact that Jesus died on a cross and that he rose from the grave. But not once did it ever click in my head until I was in Canada that he did that for me. That God loved me, that he sent his son for me. That his son went to the cross for me and that he rose from the dead for me. It was not until I was in Canada that that clicked in my head. Praise God. Church, every single one of us has a story this miraculous. It may not involve raging seas or a fish. It may not involve a five-word sermon, but your story is miraculous. Here's the reality, God did all of that for me and he did all of that for you. That his son came for you, that God saw you and said, I can't let this go on any longer. He sent his son to die on the cross for you, to raise from the dead for you so that you could have a relationship with him. Praise God. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, Jesus is standing before you offering forgiveness if you ask for it. And you cannot out-sin the possibility of forgiveness, you can't. You cannot outsin the possibility of forgiveness because there is more grace in the little finger of Jesus than there is sin in the vilest human being. Praise God. And this truth shows up in the Bible over and over again, and we saw it in Jonah, right? God saved sailors, God saved Jonah, God saved Nineveh. There's another beautiful story that I want to look at this morning. It's found in Luke 7. Starting in verse 36, it says when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. I love this. It says that Simon was speaking to himself. And Jesus said, I'm going to answer you. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon responded, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman while speaking to Simon. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Church, do you act as though you have been forgiven a lot? Or do you act as though you've been forgiven a little? Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, right? She shows great love because her many sins have been forgiven. When we stand in awe of all that God has done for us, we get on our knees and we wash feet and we give up what is most important to us. When we stand in awe of all that God has done for us, we stack chairs. When we stand in awe of all that God has done for us, we show up early and set up this space so people can come and encounter the God who saves When we stand in awe of all that God has done, we don't just drop our kids off to hear about Jesus, but we tell them about Jesus. When we stand in awe of all that God has done, we stand in dimly lit parking lots, pointing hurting high school kids to Jesus because they may grow up to be a pastor. When we live life in awe of all that God has done for us. We get on our knees, we serve, and we offer up the best that we have. This is the call to go all in. To give up the very best of our time, of our talent, and our treasures. This is the call to go all in. And how are you doing with this? I know that over this journey, we've had certain things that have kind of risen to the top, right? In the very beginning, honestly, we came to you and we said, hey, here's the deal. We want to do this, and it's going to cost a lot. We need you guys to offer up with your resources, with your treasures, and you guys have answered that very well. Right? Some of you guys are given more money than you have ever given in your life, and I applaud that because it's huge to trust God with your finances, But what I've noticed is that we've offered up with our money. We've written checks and said, cool, go do it. But we're struggling to get involved ourselves. This is heart work and we need to respond out of gratitude for all that he has done to us and for us. You know, Brandon came up here and was talking about COVID. And I know you guys hate the word, I hate the word too. But what I noticed is that COVID actually robbed us a lot of opportunity, didn't it? It robbed us the opportunity to be involved in things that we wanted to be involved in. It robbed us from the opportunity to honestly serve people in the way that for some of us we really feel gifted to serve. And what happened is uh, we could go to the grocery store where we could buy food to consume and we could go and we could get takeout that we could take home and we could consume and we sat around our house and we consumed. And we've lost a little muscle when it comes to serving other people. We've lost a little muscle when it comes to getting involved in things. You know, we sent out this survey, same thing that Brandon replied or or shared with you, right? We sent out a survey, 27 people responded to it. 25 of them said, I would gladly bring my kids to a midweek service. Two people said, I'm willing to help out once or twice over the course of the semester. If your excuse for not serving is COVID, here's the deal. If it's COVID, you wouldn't be bringing your kids. There's hard work involved. And I'm not saying any of this out of anger. I'm saying this out of love for you. We need to operate out of a sense of awe for all that God has done for us. You know, what would have happened this morning if I woke up and I said, you know what? I just don't feel like doing my part today. I would have put so many people in a bind and you'd be sitting here in silence. Just because I'm employed by the church doesn't mean that I don't play a part here. Just because you're not employed by the church doesn't mean you don't play a part here. We need you guys. We're a family that serves each other. Too many of us are sitting around like Simon the Pharisee judging people. Well, if you knew who that person was, you wouldn't let them touch you. We're sitting on the side of a hill like Jonah, upset. God, how could you save these people? Really? Guys, behind the mind and will of God is the heart and compassion of God. Behind the mind and will of God is the heart and the compassion of God. But how often do we detach those from one another? Right? It was God's heart and his compassion for Nineveh that drove God's will to get Jonah to Nineveh. If God just said you're going to Nineveh because you're going to Nineveh, so many things would not have taken place in this story. But it was God's heart for people. It was God's heart and compassion for Nineveh that everything took place in this story so that the people of Nineveh could hear how much God loved them. And what happens when we separate his will from his heart is literally what happens to Jonah, right? Jonah knows God's word, but he doesn't share God's heart. And so as a result, he grows legalistic about doing God's will, right? And he starts uh, obeying more out of a sense of burden and distress. And in fact, at the end of the book of Jonah, we see him so opposed to God's heart towards Nineveh that he says, I would rather die than be alive. Church, we must never take for granted that we were once Nineveh. We must never take for granted God's heart and compassion for us, because if we do, obeying will become burdensome and distressing, and we'll end up like Jonah saying, who does God think he is? The call of all in, the call to give up the very best of everything we've got, it's offensive. It is because it pulls us off the throne and it puts him back on the throne in our lives. We should be in awe of all that he has done for us and out of that awe should come a heart of gratitude that responds. We should be in awe of all that he's done for us, not annoyed at what he's asking from us. You know, this summer we've called this thing the all-in check-in. And the goal of this is to check in on where we're at, to check in on our spiritual health. It's healthy for us to reflect. And so this morning I want to ask you, what did God do so that you could hear of his love for you? I mean, I sat in my kitchen on Friday and just thought of all of the things that it took for me to understand how much he loved me, and I bawled. The big old dude that gets up here and yells at you was freaking crying in his kitchen. (laughs) How easy it is to forget. Let's be a church that remembers, let's remember what he did. And we have to ask the question, what can I do to serve other people? Because a good measure of our spiritual health is our depth of concern for other people. It is. You know, God wants the best from us because he wants what's best for us. He does, he wants the best from us because he wants the best for us. You know, when I was 18, still going to youth group. I had just graduated from high school. And one Thursday night in a dimly lit parking lot, John Dewey said, hey man, I would love for you to go to this camp in Northern Wisconsin with me this summer. I need another guy counselor to come and counsel our middle school boys. So you want me to take a week of my life and go live with middle school boys? You want me to give up a paycheck to go live in a cabin with middle school boys? He's like, yeah. And I went. I'm going to tell you this point blank. If I did not go to Silver Birch that week, I would not be here today. I went to Silver Birch that week as an 18-year-old kid confused on what my future looked like. I went as an 18-year-old kid that was looking for an opportunity to help in some kind of way, and I spent a week with a group of middle school boys, and it changed my life. And I watched what God did in the life of this cabin of middle school boys and the 300-plus other people that were at camp that week. And while I was there, I learned of this gap year program called the Nicolay Bible Institute. It's a one-year program for people just like me that don't know what they're doing in life. So I heard about this program and I went home and went to community college and was working and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I should give that a shot. And so I went to the Nicolet Bible Institute at Silverbird Ranch for a year and I met a girl by the name of Taylor and then I put a ring on it <laughs> many years down the road, right? And I fell in love with Silver Birch and what they did at Silver Birch. And I fell in love with Jesus more at Silver Birch. And I learned more about giving my life away at Silver Birch. And so every summer, the entire time that I was in college, I spent my summers at Silver Birch. And eventually going from being on summer staff at Silver Birch, that turned into being full-time staff at Silver Birch. And three and a half years after starting that job at Silver Birch, I met a man by the name of Jason Chenoweth in a dimly lit cabin in the north woods of Wisconsin and he asked me a question that forever changed my life. He said, would you ever want a job at a church? Now what's crazy about this is that John Dewey, that youth pastor that took me to Canada, John Dewey, that youth pastor that took me to Silver Birch, well he used to intern under that man Jason Chenoweth down in Chicago. And so while God was moving the scrawny kid in the yellow pants to Kenosha to meet with John Dewey, who he moved to Kenosha, he was working in the life of Jason and Jill, moving them from Schaumburg, from a community that they loved, here to Shelbyville so that he could be a youth pastor at a church in the middle of a cornfield. And he moved him here so that eventually he would sit in the role as executive pastor, and years and years and years later he would meet with me at a camp and offer me a job. Church, I'm telling you this, man, when God asks the best of you, it's because he has the best for you. Never in a million years would I have thought that spending a week with middle school boys would move me to Indiana, pastor a church, foster a kid, and be a husband. Never in a million years is the life that I am living right now. I never, never thought that that would be the fruit of saying yes to a service opportunity. Church, there's gonna be a shop in our community that's pointing people to Jesus, helping them find long-term employment, and it's gonna be for the good of our city, and that never would've happened if a scrawny kid in bright yellow pants would've never invited me to youth group. I have a seven-year-old kid living in my home because she needed a safe place to live for I don't know how long. And that's happening because Jason invited me to camp. John invited me to camp. I'm up here preaching to you guys because Jason invited me to Shelbyville. Guys, when we stand in awe of all that God has done for us, we respond in awe. We can't help it. Man, long before I met John, long before I met Jason, God was at work for my good and for his glory. Man, if John would have said no to going to Kenosha, I would not be here today. If Jason would have said no to go to the call to Shelbyville, I would not be here today, right? If I would have said no to go to that service opportunity with middle school kids, I would not be here today. When God calls us to give up our time, our talents, and our treasures, it's because he wants what's best for us. Right? This is the call to go all in. It's not just a call to sacrifice, it's an invitation to something crazy that you could never imagine yourself. You know, when we stand in awe of all that God has done for us, we get on our knees and we wash feet and we give up what's most valuable to us. And when God calls us to give up our best, it's because He wants what's best for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that my life is the wildest story that I could have never imagined. That You orchestrated so much so that I could meet you and hear of your love for me. You've orchestrated so much that I could be here and have the life that I have. Father, I pray that I would never lose sight that I would constantly be in awe of all that you have done. Father, I pray that for our church, that they would be in awe of all that you have done. And that as we continue moving forward in this journey, that, that they would respond. That this isn't a call to just sacrifice, but it's an invitation to so much more. And I pray that our community would be a different place because people said yes to small service opportunities that will forever change the eternity of people. Jesus, I pray that you would save our city, that you would save people through our church, that you would save people through the lives of the people of our church, that they would be bold, that they would open their mouths, that they would share their stories of all that you have done, and that people couldn't help but respond in awe. So God, I pray that this last song, that as we respond, as we worship, that it would be sweet, sweet music to you. That it would be worship of who you are and what you've done. And that we would leave this place today changed people. In Jesus' name, amen.